Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Bass is pumping up here this morning. Do y'all feel that? Are you good and awake now? Good. <laughs> we all lost that hour of sleep last night, so we needed that maybe. All right, so, so far in this series, we have cast vision for the future of Freedom Valley, right? That is what Free the Future is all about. We have talked about give more, tell more, serve more, sort of these focuses that we're going to have for this year for the kingdom of God, what our impact as a church is going to be for the kingdom of God, and how we're changing some things in our future trajectory, right? We want to be more effective than ever, a lean, mean, fighting machine on mission with the gospel. Amen? Amen. So we're changing some things behind the scenes too with our finances and we've explained all that, but what we do here matters for what we do behind the scenes, right? What we do here in our hearts and minds, it it makes such a difference for for the underbelly too of this church and and what we're doing. Well, Aaron and I, we're never going to be the kind of leaders that sit back and coast. Now, I We're just not those kind of people. We're we're not those kind of leaders. If you're a part of this fellowship, this church, this house, you're going to be challenged, right? And stretched. You're going to be asked to do things that are outside of your comfort zone sometimes. And as Aaron Holt says, an evangelist who comes here sometimes, he always says there's no comfort in the growth zone and no growth in the comfort zone, right? You're going to be stretched, pushed a little. Jesus was constantly doing this to his disciples, putting them in situations that they hadn't been in before and asking a little bit more and a little bit more of them. That's how you build faith. Faith is built. You don't just leave the church today and say, I'm going to have more faith, right? Because you find out really quickly it doesn't work that way, does it? Right? We, we build through experiences, through challenging ourselves, stretching ourselves. And and we're going to challenge you. That's what this year is about. That's what Free the Future is about. To not just live the way we've always lived just because that's the way we've always done it. Right? But what in your past is holding you back from living the kind of life you want to live, the kind of life you were meant to live, the kind of life we were called to live as disciples? And we're going to challenge you to do that, to step up in certain areas. Last week, we challenged you to tithe, to give more or to give better. Give with the right heart. Give the way that God asked us to give. Not because God needs your money or we need your money, because you aren't our provider. Not as pastors, not as the church. God is our provider, right? Amen. Not because we need it, but because God asks for it. He asks us for it. It's what the Word says. Because Jesus talked about it, we're going to talk about it. We're going to challenge you to put those walls back up around your selfishness, as we talked about the first week of the series. Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, and he built up the walls against the enemy. We're going to ask you to build up those walls. We have left areas open. The enemy can sneak in sometimes, right? A selfishness tears those walls down. We're going we're gonna to challenge you. Be disciplined. 
build those walls back up. We have to be intentional. We have to build the wall. We have to protect ourselves against the plans of the enemy. Dig deep in our relationship with Jesus. And it takes time. It takes discipline. But we're going to challenge you to do that. We're going to challenge you to give more of yourself to people like Jesus did, to live out the gospel, not just consume it. The kingdom of God advances when people contribute, right? Not when we just consume. It cannot stop with you. You know, there's a saying I really like, actually. It goes something like, you know, alcoholism ran in my family until it ran into me. Have you heard this? Or, or addiction ran in my family until it ran into me. I love that saying. It means we've, we've stopped the generational curses in our lives. It means we, we've cut off the plans of the enemy and it goes no further from me. But I think with some Christians, maybe a lot of Christians, it's in more of a negative way. It goes something more like the gospel ran in my family until it ran into me. Or the gospel passed from generation to generation until it ran into me. We've talked about the wellspring, right? Our last series was about the wellspring. We had the well up here on stage, and we talked about how we're supposed to be wellsprings of life for others. Like Jesus runs through us and outpours from us onto the people around us. But instead, a lot of us are the Dead Sea. Stuff coming in, nothing coming out. No life can happen in that kind of environment. There's nothing coming out of us. And so today we're going to be challenging ourselves to be that outpouring, to outpour Jesus onto the world around us, specifically on to unbelievers. This is just a theory of mine, but I tend to think that most unbelievers have a problem with one or more of the following three statements. God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much right? Unbelievers tend to have a problem with one, and they tend to be sort of cumulative, right? If they can get over the fact that God is real, if if they believe that God is real, then they might have a problem that, is God good though, right? And if they can believe that God is good, but, but how could a good God love a person like me? This is just from my own observation and the Holy Spirit's help, I'm sure, but this is what I've seen and observed. God is real, God is good, and he loves you, so much. But I think even more than unbelievers having a problem with it, sometimes we as Christians haven't fully answered these questions for ourselves. We're terrified of having to share the gospel because what if we're asked a question that we don't know the answer to? I mean, we haven't, we haven't worked this stuff out for ourselves. And so... <laughs> terrifying to look at sharing that with somebody else. What if I don't have all the answers? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to, and then I make it worse for them? A lot of us are like Peter. Peter spent three years of his life with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the living, breathing God. 
He spent three years following him everywhere he went, learning and, and growing and being challenged. He was in the most intense and authentic discipleship program that ever existed. He got to see it all firsthand. But watching Jesus, being around Jesus, is a little different than walking with the Spirit of Jesus in you. There's a difference. And so when it came time to answer some tough questions, Peter faltered. When it came time to, to, it came down to fear or faith, Peter feared. He didn't have the risen Jesus within him yet. He, he didn't have the full picture yet, really. He hadn't encountered the risen Jesus. He hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, to Peter and some of the other disciples right before he ascended back into heaven. We actually see it in Luke 24, 49. He said, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus's words, stay here until it happens. Stay here until you feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, we see this actually take place. Verse 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. There are people, that these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. I dare you all to say that. Ten times fast. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. The Holy Spirit's power draws people in. And it gets them asking questions. Not, not, it's not power for power's sake, right? In fact, I think some people get this a little twisted. Pursuing the power of the Holy Spirit for the power's sake. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Right? He draws people in. It's about who is behind the power, not the power itself. And this is what the power does. It draws people in. It gets them asking questions. What can this mean? But others in the crowd, verse 13, ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all. Look, we're talking about sharing our faith today. Right? We're talking about witnessing, as, as the Christianese kind of word is, telling people about Jesus. Uh, here's tip number one for telling people about Jesus. There will always be haters. They're just drunk. That's all. People will find a way to not believe. Even in the presence of Jesus, they found a way to not believe. If they want to 
not believe they will. No truer words than Taylor Swift when she said, haters gonna hate. They were hating 2,000 years ago. They're hating 4,000 years ago. They're hating 6,000 years ago. They will find a way. That is witnessing lesson number one. There will always be haters. Even Jesus didn't convert everyone. You remember the story? Oh, I preached on it a while ago now. Probably a long while ago. But Jesus fed the 5,000. Right? And then there was that scene where, where the, the disciples were in the boat overnight. They, they had Jesus had sent them across. And then here he comes walking on water. And then they end up on the other side of the shore. And the very next day from Jesus literally feeding 5,000 people with loaves and fishes, a handful of them, he, he basically told everybody, look, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and they left. They deserted him. The very next day. Jesus, they even left Jesus. Even Jesus didn't convert everyone. And here's where I think a lot of Christians get tripped up. When we're trying, we're talking about sharing our faith. We think that, you know, if, if, if I just knew more, if I just had more confidence, if I could just speak like, like Tim Bennett, as fast as he speaks, this other evangelist that comes here and he's, he's a, what's the word? Auctioneer. He speaks so fast. If I could just speak like him, or Johannes Amritzer, he, he ministers to Africa, and he's so passionate. If, if I could just speak like that, or if I just had the knowledge of, of Aaron Holt, or, or passion for the word, I hear this sometimes. If I could just understand the word like you do, Candace. If I just grew up in a pastor's household, and if I was raised in a Pentecostal church, I, I could do it too. It has nothing to do with those things. It is the Holy Spirit. Johannes wasn't raised in a Christian household, <laughs> right? I, he didn't have all of that background. And we think that if, if I just had those things like other people, that I could be unstoppable for Jesus too. And, and everyone around me would come to know him, surely. Even Jesus had haters. People hated him to death, right? Literally. And they tried a few more times than they were successful hated him. They hated his message. They hated his disciples because of him. They, they hated that he was taking their power away. You can't save everyone. In fact, you can't save anyone. It's not in our power. By his might, his power, right? We don't do these things on our own. And here's the beautiful thing about how God works. God is a collaborator, he, he doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself to accomplish his divine purpose for the world. And yet, he chooses to use a collaborative effort. He chooses to use us. He allows us to be used by him. His power, but our participation. He asks for it. He actually requires it. And as we're going to see here in a minute when we read the rest of this chapter... He works through us to accomplish his mission. But I want you to understand as we read through this, it was not Peter's power. We're talking about the guy who just basically days ago denied Jesus in front of a crowd three separate times out of fear. That was Peter. Me, on my own power, just as an example, would not be up in front of a crowd of people. I tell this story all the time, but I was a shy, scared little girl. Severe social anxiety. In fact, when, when God first started giving me sort of 
flashes of preaching, I said, God, no. Literally said, no, it's not happening. That's, I'm not, not doing it. In fact, I was scared to tell the people around me. I didn't tell Aaron for months. Wouldn't tell my dad. I knew they were going to make me do it. You know what I mean? I couldn't tell anybody for a while. God, no. That's me. That was me in my own power. This is something else entirely. The Holy Spirit works through us. In our own power, we fail. But through his, the Holy Spirit partnered with Peter to preach the gospel. Uh, There's actually three elements we need to be effective disciple makers. The Holy Spirit's power, our participation, and the gospel. That's really it. Notice I did not say skill in preaching. Notice I did not say a Bible degree. Holy Spirit's power, in this case that we're about to read, Peter's participation and the gospel partner together, all three of these bring in a mighty kingdom harvest. They did it 2,000 years ago, as we're about to read, and today is no different. And while each element is powerful, has infinite potential, they are not meant to be used separately. The Holy Spirit's power without the gospel is, what's the point? Right? Our participation without the Holy Spirit What's the point? Right? They are meant to be used together. The gospel needs someone to proclaim it. God chooses to use us. The Holy Spirit needs human hands and voices to empower. And ultimately, we have no help or hope to offer to a a broken, dying, hurting world outside of the message of the gospel. The gospel changes hearts. And minds. It's everything. It's the only way to change hearts and minds, to change us from the inside out. It's grace. It's forgiveness. It's true sacrificial love. No justice system on the world can change you from the inside out. No politics. No government. Nothing changes us like love sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's power will get people questioning. Not all people, again, some whose hearts aren't pure, will feel threatened, as in the case of the Pharisees. Right? They'll feel threatened and closed off, but it will get some people questioning, the people that are ready. And just the question is enough for you to plant a seed. Now, a few weeks ago, In the Wellspring series, we talked about how Jesus met the woman at the well. Right? Do you remember this? It was the very first week of Wellspring. Do you remember what he said to her at the well? I actually want to know. If you only knew, right? If you only knew the gift God has for you. I have been thinking about that phrase ever since. If you only knew, there's such power in those very few words, as Jesus always does in his infinite wisdom, right? If you only knew the gift God has for you, I think most Christians approach telling people about Jesus all wrong. I think we, our attitude is much more like, if you only knew the wrath God has for you, 
If you only knew the judgment God has for you, right? This is the perception our world has of us. We're judgmental, angry people. I mean, we give people a bad taste in their mouth for God. Jesus didn't do that. If you only knew the gift, the gift God has for you. If God so loved the world, why do so many believers behave like he hates it? We have nothing but angry things to say. Judgment is coming for those who don't believe. You better get ready. Like we're going to fear people into believing. Jesus didn't do it. If you only knew the gift God has for you. Our anger isn't attracting unchurched people. It's repulsing them. They want to run far, far away from it. In a post-Christian culture, as we're quickly becoming in America, as Canada already has, as Europe already has, guilt doesn't work. Fear doesn't work. Love will always work. Hope will always work. Jesus asked us to preach the good news. It's good news. Good news, not the terror and judgment and wrath news. The good news. I once had a mother ask me for advice about her teenage daughter, as, you know, teenage daughters need it. Specifically, how to talk to her daughter about heaven and hell, because she said, you know, I feel like she wants to believe, but she has this hang-up about hell. How could a good God send people to such a bad place as hell? I just don't believe God would do that, right? And I said, well, I I actually think that most people have a sort of a twisted view of what hell actually is. Yes, it is a real place. The Bible is clear about that. According to the word, it's a real place and it's an awful place. But saying that you get sent there, it's almost like you get get a timeout. God sends you there because of all of your bad deeds as a, a punishment necessarily. This is an essential product of sin. And it is. Punishment is, for sure. And it is the result. But God doesn't delight in sending people there. It's not like that's what he wants for you if you sin. He's not in heaven wagging his finger at you and saying, I can't wait to send you off to hell. That's not not our God. He is love. He sent his son so that all would believe. That's, that's the goal. And I actually think more that hell is a result of what we're communicating to God that we want. Hell is a place without God, void of God. And remember that God is love. He doesn't have love or give love. He is love. Imagine living in a place completely and utterly void of love. There's no hope for it. There's no possibility of it. It doesn't exist in that place because there is no God, and God is love. Imagine living in a place where there is no grace. There is no rescue. Nobody to pray to send help. Imagine living in a place where there is no peace. Imagine living in a place where there is no beauty. All of these things that we experience are God on earth. Beauty, love, peace, 
hope, goodness. Imagine a place where there is none of that. And that's essentially when we, when we go through life saying, God, I don't want you. God says, okay, you get, I'll give you what you want. That is hell. To be out of his presence completely and utterly. God is love. And of course that is a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who wants to be in a place like that? Of course that is a place with hopelessness and despair. That is the kind of place where you are your own God. That's what you've told God that you wanted. And I guarantee you, you won't like that place. God is giving you what you've communicated to him that you want. But if you only knew the gift God has for you. If you only knew the gift God has already given you with air in your lungs and a beautiful, good world to live in with the possibility of hope, of of love, right? With beauty in the world. If you only knew the gift God has for you, that statement isn't pushy. It's not judgmental or wrathful or unkind. It's compassionate. It it implies there's more to the story than the unbeliever knows yet. There's so much more they don't know. It causes wonder in them. It's intriguing. Next time you read through the Gospels, start to look for that intrigue, that wonder. We did a whole series on this two Decembers ago called Wonder. Everywhere Jesus went, he inspired wonder. Seeds planted gets people questioning. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let's keep reading in Acts 2, verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Remember, this is the guy who denied Jesus three times. He ran and hid in the shadows. When just asked if he was with Jesus, not to explain the whole Jesus thing, just ask, well, aren't you one of those guys? He said, no. But now, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, ahem, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. He goes on and on. It's a whole chapter of him preaching faithfully a strong but simple gospel message. He calls them out a little bit. Look, you Jews sent the Messiah to the cross. That is what happened. He's not judgmental about it, just factual. This is what happened. You sent our Messiah to the cross. He goes on to talk about the great and glorious day of the Lord. He doesn't shrink back from the truth. Jewish people nailed the Messiah to the cross that he didn't, they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. But most of his sermon on the day of Pentecost was good news. He quotes David twice for the benefit of the Jews in the crowd, I'm sure. And he talks about the signs and the wonders of Jesus. And we're going to pick up his speech at Acts 
2, verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Let me just tell you, as a preacher, that's a good day. That's a haul. (laughs) It's a harvest. 3,000. Peter did not do that. The Holy Spirit and Peter and the gospel did that. It wasn't Peter's power alone. As soon as Jesus ascended back into the heaven, into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came, believers began to preach. The church exploded from the day of Pentecost. And despite our culture being increasingly post-Christian, the gospel is still moving throughout the world today. It's multiplying itself. Christianity has 2.3 billion people around the world. It's still the largest religion on planet Earth. It's not because God forces people to believe. That's because of people who heard the call and responded. The gospel's not going to proclaim itself. It needs a mouthpiece. We are that mouthpiece. If you haven't caught my drift yet, we are that mouthpiece. Now, God proclaims himself. Right? We know this because Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's the creator. God the Father. Right? It doesn't mention Jesus in that. That is why we have so many religions around the world today. You know, we have about 4,300 religions throughout the world. We tend to think of the top couple. There's a lot of religions around the world. We can clearly see as human beings that there is something. We develop all kinds of theories about what that something is. God is real. We can also see that he is good, as Romans 1 tells us, from the earth and the sky, the way the the world works together so perfectly, so beautifully. It's hard to watch the Discovery Channel and, and, you know, learn about the beauty and the, the intricacies of the world and not believe that God is good. Not that people who don't believe aren't intelligent, because they are, right? And because it's important to try to understand those perspectives so that we can speak to them. But then the question naturally is, if God is good, he's in control of everything, why is there evil in the world? This is probably the number one question from non-believers, right? What about the starving children in Africa? What about, what, why is there evil in the world if God is good? Why is there murder and rape and selfishness and, and evil out there in the world? But to answer that question, I have to face the fact that the evil isn't just out there somewhere. It's not just other people doing evil, but it's also in here. There's evil in me, and that for God to give up all of the evil in the world, for him to erase it all, to wipe the face of the earth clean, that includes me. He'd have to get rid of me, too. And to go even deeper than that, we have to go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1, literally, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God gave us authority. He created it. But he gave the authority to us. He gave us dominion, some versions of the Bible say. He gave us reign. He gave us governance over his creations. He gave the authority to us. So, yes, God still controls some things. We can't control the the tides in the sea or the way the earth revolves around the sun. He put those things into place. He spoke them into being, and they became. So, yes, he still controls some things, but some things he lets us control, even to this day. And he is only truly in control of your life if you let him be. He gave us free will and authority to do with that as we wish. See, the book of Job teaches us that the world is good. It is good, but it's not tame. The world is good. God created a good creation, but it's not safe. The world that he created is good, but it's up to us to make it safe, to make it tame, to make it livable. He gave us the authority to rule over and subdue the earth. And so when humans choose to be evil, selfish, look out for their own interests instead of others and gain power and pleasure and, and lord it over people, using other humans for their own gain, God gave us that authority. For now. It's not going to last forever. God is not an enabler. He will put a stop to it on an appointed day and time that we do not have knowledge of. But for now, it's up to us to spread the gospel, to teach the teachings of Jesus, to show people that it's, it's our sin, it's our selfishness, not some evil out there that we don't have the power to fix. It's up to us. We put him on that cross. My sin, my selfishness put him on that cross. We have to die to that sinful, selfish nature daily to accomplish his will on this earth. We we have to make the world good and, and beautiful and selfless again. He gave us that authority. He gave us purpose on planet earth. Leave things better than you found them. Make the world a good place to give in to people, to serve them, to love them as Jesus loved them. By that logic, it's foolishness to believe that the gospel will proclaim itself, right? And yet, by some of our lives, you would assume that we believe that. It's foolishness to believe that the Holy Spirit will force us to accomplish the Great Commission or or that we can accomplish God's will through our own skills or abilities. And yet, our lives, our behaviors reveal that these are our unspoken beliefs. I asked you last week, right, to remember, if you actually believe the word, really and truly, how would it change your life? 
how would it change your life? If you actually believed that Jesus gave us a mission on planet Earth, and the minute you agreed to make him Lord of your life, you became part of that mission, how would that change your life? If you truly believe that the world's salvation was up to you, your partnership with the Holy Spirit, how would your life change? It is an honor to be used by God. But ministry will take you to some wild places. <laughs> this world is not tame. It's not safe. It's good. But it's not tame. It's up to us. I have to chuckle all the time at the predicaments that ministry gets me in. <laughs> having conversations and doing things and finding myself in places I never thought I would be. God is constantly challenging me. Move out of my comfort zone. The second I get comfortable, he's like, okay, now this. Go on. (laughs) Thought I conquered this by now, right? It's a wild ride with the Holy Spirit. It's an adventure for sure. We did a series years ago called Wild Goose Chase. Was it, do you remember that one? That's what it feels like sometimes trying to catch the Holy Spirit. It's a wild ride. And I'm sure Peter had moments like that. Moments where you're just like, I hear me speaking, but I've never had those thoughts before. Right? Like the words that are coming out of my mouth are the perfect thing that I need to say right now. I can feel that. But I did not know that answer before I just heard myself say it. I've had moments like that with the Holy Spirit. He speaks through us. All we have to do is open our mouths. The words come. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit takes over your body, mind, and soul. Right? When the Holy Spirit comes, it's very much you, your skills, your abilities, your talents. It's just enhanced. It's, it's, It's confidence. There's a power behind it. We're not talking about weird, out-of-body experiences, right? People that uh, get really into the Holy Spirit can get weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird, right? <laughs> We're not talking about the, the freaky-deaky stuff. The Holy Spirit's not like that. It's hard to explain, sure, but it's not weird. People make it weird sometimes when they do things out of order. Right? The, the Holy Spirit's main objective will always be to see people come to know Jesus, That is the main objective. Not miracles, not speaking in tongues. The main objective is to see people come to know Jesus. The other stuff is secondary. That's why I want you to notice the wonder in the New Testament. It draws people to Jesus. The other stuff is secondary. First, people get to know Jesus. They they see the miracles, maybe. They, They get drawn in. The Holy Spirit's main objective will always be to see people know Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not speak of himself for himself. He always speaks from the Father, what comes from the Father. It gets weird when you pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit without purpose behind it or put the wrong purpose behind it. It's not for power's sake. In fact, the Holy Spirit helps us be servants to everyone to lay down our lives for the sake of others, to die to our own sinful, selfish nature. It's not power for power's sake. It's power to preach the gospel, power to be the best you that you can be. 
I teach all the time that Jesus was very spiritual, but he was also very practical. He balanced the, the physical and the spiritual. The practical here and now that give us today our daily bread and also the, the majesty of who God is. Your kingdom, power forever and ever, right? He balanced the two so well. It's, it is both. Jesus was very down to earth and also way above us at the same time. So not only do you have to pursue the Holy Spirit, but you also have to be willing to step out and be used. Equip yourself to know what the gospel is. If an unbeliever asked you that today, how would you answer? What actually does that word mean? What is the gospel? Would you be able to say it? Would you be able to explain that the gospel is literally the the term means good news? The gospel of Jesus is that he came, set us free from our sin and selfishness. For God so loved the world. Do you all know John 3.16? Simplest gospel message ever preached. For God so loved the world that he what? God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I think I'm mixing versions there. Some of you probably know the King James Version, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Can you share it in two minutes or less? Can you share it in 10 minutes or less? If you were given a microphone and a stage, could you share the gospel? Some of you are like, don't ever put a microphone in my face, Candace. I know you. <laughs> I'm so tempted to now. Could you share it? The Bible says always be ready with an answer. Could you share it? How many actually know? Once we know, then we have to ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities. If you can share it, then say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm equipped. Use me. Where can I be used? Give me the opportunity to take that gospel message to someone I know. An easy way to get to this point, by the way, is saying, you know, has anyone ever explained to you exactly what the gospel means? Or has anyone ever explained to you what Jesus did for you? if you only knew the gift God has for you, right? And then may I? Do you mind if I share it with you? Most people will be too polite to say no. And you have your opportunity, right? But the most powerful way to do this is by telling your own story. We share testimonies all the time. Fred shared his via video last week, right? What is your story, we call that a testimony. It's a, it's a fancy word, but it really just means what's your story? And every time we do one of those testimony videos, I always prep the person with, here are the basic questions of a testimony. Who were you before Jesus? Who were you before Jesus? Now, my personal story is that I was a scared, shy little girl. Yes, I grew up in this church around these altars, but... I knew who Jesus was. I knew the Bible stories. I could tell you Noah's Ark. 
But when Jesus actually got a hold of me, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit as a kid, kids are the best missionaries, by the way. They'll tell anybody about Jesus, no shame. I brought tons of kids to church when I was a kid, way more than I ever have as an adult. I, I was this scared, shy little girl. I was so socially anxious. But I began to use the word. Somebody somewhere along the line maybe preached or maybe it was one of my parents that said, you know you can use the word to change who you are into the person that you want to be. And I remember, I called it my cage of fear. I felt like I was always, wasn't the person that I wanted to be. I was so scared. And so I looked up, I went to the back of my little kid's Bible, the concordance, and I said, okay, courage. And I saw all the verses and I went and looked them up and I said, okay, boldness. I saw all the verses and I went and looked them up and I wrote them in this little journal that I had. I wish I still had it. And I, I read them over myself out loud, just like the preacher told me to put them by my mirror in the mornings. I would read them over myself, proclaim God's goodness over myself, and I began to change. I saw the goodness of God, the blessings of God. I saw the Holy Spirit start to work in my life, and today I am preaching no fear. It took time, but it's the Holy Spirit's power working in me, not me. I was not this person you see before you. I was selfish. I was prideful. So scared. And I let fear win all the time. That's who I was before Jesus. Who were you? Before Jesus. We all have a story to share. Second question is, what made you finally come to him? How did you start coming to Freedom Valley? Or who told you about Jesus? What was the thing that clicked for you? Was it just a little bit of hope you grabbed onto that you didn't have before? Was it the promise of freedom because you had messed up your life so much? You'd gotten yourself entangled in all of these things and just so much guilt and, and shame. Was it just freedom, a fresh start? What was it that made you finally come to him? And three, who are you now because of him? three simple questions. That is your testimony. Who were you before Jesus? What made you finally come to him? And who are you now? This is the most powerful way to share the gospel. Nobody can say it didn't happen to you. It's your story, right? It changed you from the inside out. We are called to be witnesses. There's a reason the Bible uses that specific word. We're not called to be Bible scholars. In fact, Jesus didn't call many Bible scholars. He called fishermen and tax collectors. One or two Bible scholars were in there too. He didn't call all Bible scholars. He didn't ask them to use that knowledge to go and preach the good news. He empowered them with the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to what they have seen and heard. That word is a court term. When you're called upon to be a witness in a courtroom... You don't have to be an expert on the subject of murder or whatever you're called upon to witness, right? You just have to tell what you have seen and heard. That is what God asked of you. What have you experienced by the power of the Holy Spirit? Proclaim it boldly. Proclaim it boldly. Our unchurched world today needs Christians who are willing to have conversations 
with people. Not just Christians who brag on their church, oh, we have loud music and, and guitars and we, you know, play games on holidays and I don't know. We've used a motorcycle in service before. Like, random weird things, right? Not just, not just the gimmicks. I love our church too. Don't get me wrong. It's all right to, to brag about it. But, but what has Jesus actually done for you? When was the last time you told that story to someone who didn't believe? Our unchurched world today needs Christians who are willing to have that conversation, who are willing to have nuanced thought, willing to sit and discuss opinions and ideas. We don't need more closed-minded, wrathful, angry Christians. We need rooted Christians, not swayed by the wind, roots planted deep, right? That doesn't mean you're closed-minded. There's a difference. Standing on principle, not just your opinion. Believing what you believe. Actually believing the word, not just saying that you do. Not just understanding what it means, but believing it. Some Christians act as if other ideas or religions or understandings will threaten theirs. Like, I can't listen to that. Right? It, It threatens my beliefs. No, it doesn't. Nothing can threaten the gospel on planet Earth. Nothing can threaten it. You are not threatened by other religions. Demons run and flee from Jesus. You carry him inside you. They're scared of you. Why not understand their ideas? Why not listen with humility to their stories so that you can speak to it? Earn the right to speak to it, not just demand an audience. What's better than ranting? is the nuanced thought and an open mind. Thought that shows that you've done your research. You've done some homework, some deep thinking about what you believe. And an openness that suggests you considered the other side and the other points of view. It's not just, well, I was raised that way, so. That shuts down arguments and opinion. You want to enter into people's lives and be able to hear them and, and allow them to hear you. We need humility. There are some really good questions out there about Christianity. I'm not scared of questions. God is not scared of questions. Not scared of your doubts and fears. He wants you to ask them. We need to be the same way. Questions are, okay, if I don't know the answer, I'll find someone who does or I'll research it and we can figure it out together. I'm not scared of questions. I as a teenager I worked at Subway down the street from my house I was a sandwich artist proud of it and I think I left that job when I was 16 so I was young and I remember I worked with a woman who was Wiccan and very into it she talked about it all the time we'd have these conversations and finally it came down to one day I was talking about Christianity and she was talking about Wicca and she said would you read one of my books you seem interested. And I said, sure, if you'll read one of mine. And I gave her a New Testament. She gave me one of her books. I tried to look it up today, but there are a lot of books of Wicca, apparently. I don't remember which one I read, but I read it so that she would read mine, and we came back together, and we discussed it. There's nothing threatening about other religions. Demons run and flee from the power of Jesus. I'm not threatened by that knowledge, but now I can speak to it. I can talk about the light that Wicca claims to have. 
I can speak to it. And I could have honest, open, educated conversations with her from then on. When we preach and speak in that tone, humble but confident, that there's power here. If, if you only knew the gift God had for you, has for you, it's not something, the Bible is not something to beat people over the heads with. It's something to offer. It's hopeful. It's beautiful. It's a story of creation and God. It's a love story between God and his creation. If you only knew, when we preach and we speak in that tone, there is a young, curious, interested audience that wants to hear more. We don't just don't usually speak that language. We don't have to gimmick them into it. They're just curious, just like they were in Jesus' day. Curious. Most of our culture, especially younger, unchurched people, are tired of the diatribe. They're tired of the, the spin, the angry, entrenched defense. They're tired of the politics. They're tired of the anger and the judgment that they feel from us. They just want open, honest dialogue and nuanced thinking. They want to ask questions and for someone to actually listen to be humble about it when you've earned the right to speak into their lives let your message be God is real God is good and he loves you so much we can reach our world when we partner with the Holy Spirit when we preach a pure simple gospel message it's not complicated it's pure it can sometimes be a little scary, right? It's a wild ride, that's for sure. But it's not complicated. It's incredibly simple. We stop making it complicated. Jesus came to show God's love and to demonstrate it for us. Now today, maybe your problem with God is the last one. That you might believe that God is real, that God is good, but he couldn't possibly love me. If he is truly good, truly holy, and there is no fault within him, I, I can never, I can't measure up to that. I can never earn God's forgiveness, so why even try? I might as well just stay away. That is the gospel message, though. You can't earn it. You're right. You will never be able to earn God's love. You will never be able to earn a ticket into heaven. Because forgiveness doesn't cost anything. It's free. It is always free. God sent his son so it can be free. Jesus paid the price for you. It comes to you for free. But today, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you paid the price so that I don't have to, and I accept your forgiveness in my life, and I choose to live my life your way because my way wasn't working. You get a free, fresh start. There is freedom in surrender, offering that authority that God gave us to run our own lives back to him. I can't do it on my own. I need him. In fact, every time I get up on the stage, I say, God, if you're not going, I'm not going. I'm not doing it without you. 
every time I walk into a situation I'm terrified of, let's be honest. It's God, I'm not going if you're not going. Holy Spirit, I need you. I'm not enough. I will never be enough for this, enough that this moment calls for. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the wisdom, but the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to allow him to speak instead. I choose to open my mouth. I choose to participate with him, but it is his message that brings the power. The gospel is powerful when partnered with you and the Holy Spirit. God is calling you, believer, to big things. He's calling you to bring people to Jesus, not just to church. Church is good. It's amazing. It's a, it's a gathering of believers. We get to worship together. We get to exhort each other, which is a little bit of rebuke and a little bit of encouragement, right? We get to do that together. It's a privilege, as we found out this year, right? But it's not the gospel. The gospel is the power. In fact, there are lots of churches across America that don't have the gospel anymore, and they don't have any power either. It's the Holy Spirit's presence, the gospel's presence, and you. You are called, believer. You're called to know the gospel, to share it. Two minutes or less, 10 minutes or less. What is your story? What is your testimony? Could you share it today if asked? And if not, you have homework to do. I'm assigning you homework today. Go memorize John 3.16. Answer the questions. In fact, there's a writing your testimony tool in the sermon notes today. If you want to, I, and I would love to hear it. Write it out. Type it out to me in an email. I want to read your story. I'm happy to, to let you practice on me too. Share it. That's what we're called to do. Each and every one of us should have names in, in our heads that we're thinking of when I say tell more. Who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? I have two right off the top of my head. People I'm praying for today. I want to lead them to Jesus. I'm begging God, give me the opportunity. Let me be the one that leads them to Jesus. Give me an opening, any opening, I'm in. Let them come to me in crisis, right? Let them, let them ask me questions. Let me be the one. Let me, let me post something that, that's the trigger for them. Let, I don't know. Just God, open doors. Let me be the one that brings those two people to Jesus. Who are your people? If you don't have anybody in mind, you're not out in the world enough. A lot of us as Christians, we seclude ourselves in this Christian bubble. Right? It's super easy for me as a pastor. Everybody I know is a Christian. <laughs> That means I'm not out there enough. I don't, I'm not talking to my neighbors enough. I'm not in my kids' school enough, maybe. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not out there enough. We're called to go into the world. Christians often want to we hide from it. We're threatened by it. We're scared of it. We want to shelter ourselves from it. And be in the world, just not of it. Right? You're of different stuff. You have something different inside of you, but you're still in the world. Go in the world, preach the gospel, baptize new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the job. Tell more. Father, we thank you and we praise you today. Thank you for the opportunity, the honor 
the privilege of being able to share the gospel with our world. God, let us not be scared of it anymore. Let us not be terrified like Peter. When we're asked questions that we don't shrink back from it, we don't, we don't not wear our Jesus t-shirts around our non-believing friends. We're not terrified anymore. God, let us be passionate. Let us be bold disciples for Jesus. Let us be the vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples you have called this church to be. Go into the world and share the gospel. Let us have an attitude of good news. Like that on our lips constantly would be, if you only knew the gift God has for you. If you only knew what God has done in my life. If you only knew that, that he, he sets the captives free, that he provides healing and blessing and wholeness when we just give up control, surrender to his will and live his way, it is such a good life. I want to give you the opportunity to choose that life. And maybe you came in here today not really knowing what you were in for. You are dragged in by a friend or came in with some questions but today you realize you can't do this on your own anymore you've gotten yourself in some messes there's some guilt and shame some stuff you'd rather not live with anymore Jesus can set you free he came to set you free to heal the brokenhearted, comfort the mourning to set the captives free that what his sacrifice did for us and all we have to do today is to claim it it's that simple say Jesus I believe in you I accept your forgiveness in my life and I choose today to live your life going forward to make you the Lord the boss of my life Maybe you are already a believer. You've been a believer for a while. But today you would say, I haven't been obedient. I haven't been faithful. I haven't been asking the Holy Spirit to come and, and empower me and live a bold gospel life. I can't even remember the last time I told somebody about Jesus. But today I want to repent I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come in. I want to be empowered. I don't want to be scared anymore. I want the Holy Spirit so I can tell people about Jesus. Okay. Father, we thank you once again. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power that he gives us to go into all the world and preach the good news. God, let us do that better this year than ever. Let us lead people to Jesus. Let us each and every one of us be disciple makers, that we wouldn't just be people that says, come, meet my pastor, come to church with me and let them do the gospel work, but that each and every one of us would know our own story, that we'd know our testimony, who we are in Jesus Christ, and we'd be able to share that with the world around us. God, make us more effective with the gospel than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.